0: I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, hi, hi. I'm Dr. Jamie Byrne, clinical psychologist. Hi,
1: I'm Dr. Tom Dixon, GP extraordinaire, and she's moist, moist, moist at the moment because it's hot outside. And I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Dave
0: Demmer. And welcome to the Meet Q podcast. Each episode, we're gonna meet Q, who's a fictional member of the LGBTQIAP plus community, and they're gonna be struggling with their mental health while the three of us have a chat about what's going on for Q and how we would support Q in therapy and medically. Thanks for joining us. We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and extend that respect to any First Nation listeners today. Sovereignty was never ceded. How are we going, guys?
2: She's fab, she's here and she's queer.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm very well, thank you very much.
0: Are you here and queer?
2: I am always here queer.
0: I'm loud and I'm proud.
2: <laughs> I don't never
1: call you loud Dave You always have like a certain like Calm controlled nature to you You
2: say I have dulcet tones and I'm actually not sure what dulcet means it means Ooh. deep and resonant. Oh, really? It's actually listening back to these podcasts is interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, do I actually really sound like that? Yeah, I always feel like I sound like Fran Drescher.
0: Hey. <laughs> uh, that was also made more prominent by you saying schvitzing. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, she lives her fantasy. <laughs> Everyone loves Fran. All right. Shall we meet Q? Let's do it.
3: Hi, I'm Q, I'm a 25-year-old bi woman, I'm really close to my family, but we're starting to drift apart more now that I've been with my female partner for a year. When we're at my parents' house, they will be really warm and friendly to her, but it's different when she's not there. It's also different to in the past when I've had a boyfriend. When I came out as bi about a year or so ago, I thought my parents wouldn't care at all. We always had queer people in our life, and I'd say they're super progressive. Dad was fine, but Mum was just awkward. Over the last year, Mum has said hurtful things like how I'm attractive enough to be with men, or more passive-aggressive comments like how grateful she is to have biological children, or how much she misses my ex-boyfriend. Most recently, she flat out said, "I, I just don't understand why you're choosing to be with a woman. I don't know what to say. I'm just getting more and more anxious every time I'm meant to see mum. I love my parents, but I don't know what to do.
0: Cue. Mm,
3: I don't know about everyone else, but just hearing that. I know, it's 2022.
0: Oh, we're not we're all affirming clutching anyone. that out. Yes. Yeah. My pills. Oh, hey. oh. I mean, have you got a first thought to that one, Tom?
1: God, like the fact that choice is still like a word that well, a, it resonates with me, but it's such a like thing that it's so passive aggressive. Like, that
0: cues choosing yeah. to be with a woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think it's just such a kind of, it's very last century.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to all those people who've been alive in the 1900s, but you are so last century. Well, actually, like I
1: like I've been listening to like a podcast recently on the kind of nature of what happened to the queer queer men particularly in new south wales in the 1950s and 60s and there was a gay jail dedicated to kind of homosexual men and the perverts in inverted commas of society where the vice squad locked them up in cooma in new south wales mm. up mm. in the mountains um and did uh, psycho um sexual experiments uh, potentially on them as well but it's a harrowing tale and so when i say last century it's somewhat
0: true scarily recent. I know, 50s, 60s. Mm. I think, Q, one of the things that I hear you saying is this real tension between, you know, your folks who you're saying you really love and you really connect with, um, and there's still this, you know, connection and closeness with them. But at the same time, they are saying hurtful things, and mum in particular. And as I hear your story, like... Oh, I, th- I think it's almost harder in a way. Well, it's a different type of hard, isn't it? Because there's that flat-out rejection that we might get through some coming-out stories where parents have, you know, kicked you out of the house or... Um, but then there's also these more subvert, yeah, this more passive aggression, these... Um, well, I think this is not a microaggression. This is this is more of um, a... Um, macro. Yeah, this is more of a macroaggression, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the kind of macro macros we want to be eating. Um, <laughs> but this this is a type of ag- aggression that you're hearing. And it must be so hard for you at the moment to um, think about what kind of relationship you want with your parents while also going, well, hold on, is this fair? I was just having a think about how mum, um, you know, it sounds like dad is less of an issue in Q's life at the moment, but how mum might have felt if Q had come out as gay, um, you know, mm-hmm. how, how that might have been received. What do you think, Tom? Well,
1: I think it's such a, like what you're picking up there is probably that notion that bisexuality in like the kind of LGBT um, IQA plus rainbow alphabet is often forgotten and erased. Um, and it happens within the alphabet, but it also happens in the broader heterosexual um, community mm-hmm. um, where it's kind of either belittled as a stepping stone to either a homosexual kind of sexuality mm-hmm. or it's um, kind of invalidated if that person chooses to be in a heterosexual relationship um, or in Q's case here, it's kind of given as an option, meaning that there's a better choice. And like, again, I draw back to that notion of choice. It's it's the cue, like just because they're in a bisexual relationship, uh, they're identifying as bisexual, but they're in a kind of um, homosexual relationship with a woman doesn't necessarily mean that they're no longer bisexual either.
2: Absolutely. You're coming to these old concepts of, People who identify as bisexual being fence sitters or as you kind of said, you know, just you're on the train towards gay when actually bisexual is a completely legitimate Mm. um, and important uh, aspect of the of the sexuality rainbow.
1: Like it looks at the notion of essentially a spectrum.
0: I think for women as well, for cis women, there can be this experience where uh, being bisexual is fetishized, particularly by cishet men. I mean, welcome any cishet men listeners. Uh, lovely to have you here. But there can be that fetishized thing of, oh, two women getting together, but also I've also heard a lot of women go, well, I don't want to be with a bi woman because she's just, she's trying it out, she's really straight, and there can actually be that real rejection okay. from the gay culture as well. So it's like, where where do you sit? What well do you sit in as a bi woman? And when I see people like you, it can often be this feeling that they're not queer enough, that they need to be more queer, um, which is really sad like because... one foot in, one foot out. Right, which is so sad because... Surely part of the queer community should be this inclusiveness.
2: I think it's also important that we don't necessarily just wrap up the concept of bisexuality about being into men and women, that bisexuality means two and that can be any two in terms of gender. So uh, I just think it's important to to raise that.
1: It is also really important here to point out that I suppose like transgender uh, people can be both um, kind of homosexual, heterosexual and bisexual. And Mm -hmm. I just want to make this point that like our sexuality um, is different to our gender. And it's really important that we kind of recognize uh, kind of a person's gender expression and identity. And it's being distinct and different from their sexual um, self and their sexual identity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that here we've got a cisgendered um, Q, but uh, we could equally have a bisexual Q.
2: Who's trans? Absolutely, and I think you know probably not a discussion for us to fly into now, but certainly no. for another pod is this idea of of kind of the bringing together within the rainbow alphabet of gender and sexuality, and and how that can really positively impact mm. different different people, and how that can actually negatively impact.
0: So one of the things I'm hearing, Q, is that. It sounds like mum's pretty worried about what other people are thinking and is, is really thinking about impression management here and that must be really hard to sit with because I wonder what that was like to grow up with someone who was really concerned with appearances and, um, you know, as you said, like she's really accepting on the, on the, you know, surface level, but I also wonder what that experience was like in the house. What do you reckon, Dave?
2: I want to help Q to I guess also step back um, and I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here and I recognize it's a um, uh, it's a difficult space to walk in as a therapist but bum, bum, bum. I know I know but to also think about okay what's going on for mum here yeah. Like there's something going on for mum. Uh, they obviously have, Q has a close relationship with the family and this is something that's put a bit of a wedge between that. So there has to be something obviously going on for Q. We know what that is. Q's told us, uh, but there's something going on for mum here. And I'd, I'd be really curious to explore that with Q. Uh, so um, when, I'm, when I'm supporting clients to understand what it is that, uh, is happening for someone else in their life who might not be able to be accepting of their sexuality or, or the gender diversity, whatever it might be. But, um, we're talking about obviously queer sexuality here, what it is about the person who's struggling with this, that's leading them to struggle with it. So for example, Mum likely has some sort of what Tom said before, it's okay, just not in my house. Uh, and, Mum's also, I guess, coming to terms with this idea of a change in her perceptions, a change in her expectations, a change in how she saw her daughter's life was going to roll out. And you know, uh, obviously, Mum needs to—I'd suggest—improve her communication here with Q. And and I certainly don't want to sound like I'm siding with Mum here, but I do want to say that there is also a shift. When we come out, it's often that we have spent a long time accepting and working with and coming to terms with our sexuality that when we come out to somebody else, it's usually the first time that they're hearing this. And so they haven't had that opportunity in that time that we've maybe had to be able to spend accepting it. And you can imagine 25 years old, correct uh, me if I'm wrong, but I think Q said, she came out about a year ago to Mum. So there's 24 years there of, of Q's life that Mum has had to plan, to make expectations around, to have ideas around about what her daughter's life was going to be like. And it does sometimes take people a little bit of time to shift around that. Now, there's certainly some things that we can do to be able to support mum in that as Q to be able to support her mum in, in that. Uh, but, you know, to play devil's advocate, it's also really important to recognise that, that mum's probably taking a little bit too long or, or, you know, longer than we would like to be able to come around to this idea.
1: So, Dave, I'm going to sit with you there in the little devil's corner and... Mm-hmm. Um, and then say, well, shouldn't uh,
2: her mum just love her unconditionally? Absolutely, yeah. Like that's that's one of the key building blocks of of kind of solid development in childhood. That that we feel that our parents are unconditionally there for us and love us unconditionally. Uh, and I don't know. I, I I again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I wonder if if. If Mum's saying, I don't love you because of this, I wonder if, if we give mum a little bit more time, if we give mum some more resources, if we maybe bring mum into a session or two with Q to be able to talk this out with a therapist, uh, then uh, I wonder how we might be able to understand how mum might be struggling with the life that she envisioned for 24 years Mm. for for her daughter. Now, in no way am I trying to, of course, um, invalidate Q's experience. apologising for her. No, absolutely not. Um, But it can help sometimes to take the other's perspective and to try to kind of understand where mum is coming from around this because it can help us a little Mm. bit more. So, what I'm hearing that
1: you say there, Dave, is this concept of, like, kind of recognising that our parents might not necessarily be the idols um, that we've, like, and these godly type figures that we've created um, in our, you know, pre-pubescent childhood, um, Mm. like, kind of mind that we often still carry into adulthood where they can often do no wrong. And, Mm -hmm. like, we can, like, provide that unconditional love for them and still, and but in doing so um, with the idolization, we often fail. Able to see that their pain exists as well, and their trauma like, that they may have experienced yeah. along their life journey, um, and their little imperfections, that means mm-hmm. that mum might still love Q
2: unconditionally, mm-hmm. but she's just really poorly delivering that love right now. Absolutely, and the point I guess that, if I, to summarise what I'm saying here, I would be wanting to to help Q to work with mum rather than against her.
0: All right, so we're starting to step into the territory of, tra- of treatment. Absolutely.
1: i think we've plunged feet first, really. <laughs>
0: feet first, head first, genitals first, we've plunged. And I, I think one of the things that I'm hearing is that a lot of our early work is, well, this is where I'd be heading, is starting to look at forming um, an adult child-parent relationship. And that Mm. takes time. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I've got a program in my head of what my parents were like when I was young. And that's what, you know, I had a mum and I had a dad and I've got a pattern of how I was going to relate to mum and a pattern of how I was going to relate to dad as a child. Mm, so mm-hmm.
1: sunshine, lollipops, raindrops. <laughs> Mate. Mate. Mm. <laughs> and yep. rainbows. All,
0: oh, it was just delightful. <laughs> Everything sweet. Yeah, that's why yeah. I'm so nicely even killed. Well, that's why we all Yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: We all have our stuff from childhood. Yeah. As
1: you're saying, Jamie, uh, where we go through this moment um, of forming the adult kind of Our child uh, relationship. And so, how do we do that?
0: Yeah. So, I think one of the first questions I'd be putting to Q, and it's not a simple answer, is what type of relationship do you want with your parents? Um, This is really hard because we often feel obliged to have a type of relationship which may not be about choosing, but there might be a parental expectation of, oh, we must. And I think there's a cultural expectation there that if, for example, we've grown up in um, a Middle Eastern culture or we might have come from certain parts of Europe, there's far more of a collectivist identity where the family unit is really important. Therefore, any reforming of new types of relationships might be really challenging and um, against the backdrop of that's not how we do things.
2: And I think this kind of plays into what you're saying before about potentially mum having some kind of um expectation management or or I can't remember the word that you used, impression management Mm. around the family, that this is probably playing into that.
1: Mm. Mum here reminds me of Marilyn from Will and Grace. Mm. Like everything has to be perfect. We don't talk about our problems. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if you wore white and not black or like why have you got the glitter on you? Like all those little moments of like the subtle, subversive, Mm. um, insidious like undermining of our confidence.
0: That's what I'm hearing from Q is the fact that she feels like she's being a Problem to the family dynamic, and mm. that's the thing that breaks my heart. Q, is that you having a diverse sexuality is not a problem, and I'm so sorry, and I'm so angry for you that this has been that experience from mum. Like you deserve to have someone angry for you about this because th- this is not an experience that you should be going through with a person, um, you know, who is a caregiver and. I I think that that's something that that pain is is something that I I would like to allow to be there. Um, Not that we need to wallow in it for sure, but we need to acknowledge that that pain Mm. exists and validate that pain.
2: Jamie, what would you be working with Q here around if, if Q was in your therapy room?
0: Yeah, one of the first things I would be doing is I'd be having a think, like I mentioned, around what type of adult relationship she wants with her parents. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so does she want her parents in her life? To what extent? Under what conditions? Mm -hmm. And I think a part of that. Is helping Q to realize what's acceptable for her uh, and what's not acceptable for her in her relationships.
1: Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more, like being able to kind of identify within yourself first, like what is important to you, where are your values here, like yeah. what kind of relationship like that is going to take where it's reflective of your needs. As well as kind of ameliorating any parental need here as well, mm-hmm. because like it's so often that we can fall back into that easy moment of um, essentially kind of being the child again um, and fail to assert our own needs. And so, like, how would you go about asserting? Like, I don't think Dave, you like you're pretty assertive.
2: I try to be. Yes. I would absolutely be working with Q here around how do we communicate what's going on for Q to mum? Uh, so you're right. A set of communication is absolutely what we would be looking at. Uh, and a set of communication without going kind of too in depth into it right now is really about talking about our emotion rather than from our emotion. So letting mum know how we're feeling, letting mum know why we're feeling that way. Uh, but in that kind of um almost kind of like blunted and unemotional type of way. Like it's quite matter of fact when we want Mm. to be assertive rather than being uh, angry, rather than being sad. Uh, So it's that piece around talking about emotions rather than from emotions. Uh, And what's really important in assertive communication is telling the person what we need. If we aren't articulating what it is that we need instead of what's already happening, uh, then we kind of lose the power of assertive communication and the other person doesn't know what to do. So when we think about how we kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, train little toddlers, for example, we we don't just tell them what not to do, we tell them what we want them to do or what we need them to do and that's how they develop and learn along the way. So our parents are like toddlers?
0: Uh, some parents can be like toddlers, absolutely. So I'm um, hearing here <laughs> this idea of... Uh, Teaching, teaching parents, right, and that's re- that's a real shift in the power dynamic that mm. um, you know Q's had with her parents today. And I think this idea of really articulating a need is so important because if we can't be clear about our needs, and we think that we're we think that we're saying something really clearly, mm. uh, and sometimes we're not because uh-huh. we don't feel super confident or like we're allowed to have feelings or needs Mm -hmm. that we might get ourselves lost and tangled up and then we end up getting dismissed and invalidated Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're just being sensitive or something. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, no, Mm -hmm. like as soon as I hear that. So I think, you know, maybe talking to Q's mum for a second, that there might be uh, this feeling where uh, a writing reflex where if if someone tells us something like, Oh, you are having a hard time at work, we might Um, get like, well, I was having a hard time at work, so we might make the problem about us rather than listening to what someone's saying. So, you know, if I I did have Q's mum in the room as well, I'd be helping her to really hear what Q's Mm -hmm. saying. Um, And that actually one thing I might get Q to do in the therapy room is write a letter to mum and that allows uh, Q to get her point across uninterrupted um, and not having any defences brought up from mum and Mm. letting her be heard, which is what I'd be wanting for Q first and foremost.
1: Because this is a really, like, vulnerable moment for Q, not only, like, kind of coming, like, they may have been coming to the terms with their sexuality for a number of years, but, like, to then vocalise that with um, their parents is still a really vulnerable moment. And, like, when we're in those moments of vulnerability, it's such a difficult one with our parents, I think, because Mm. ultimately they're the people that hold us, They're the the original safety net for a lot of people. We would hope. We would hope. Yeah, exactly.
2: But it sounds like for Q that, you know, over time, the family's been relatively good and stable.
0: And that might have been what is harder, like, you know, Q's coming out. When I hear your story of coming out and thinking that everything was going to be fine, yeah, and having that experience where you haven't been validated and haven't had that unconditional response... That, that sounds just so difficult and really, really challenging. And I'm also wondering whether you've had a space to really grieve mm. um, that mm. experience. So on the topic of boundaries, uh, I have a couple of thoughts here. Mm-hmm. My first one is uh, often coming in, uh, that, that we feel like we've done the hard work in asserting a boundary the first time. You know, I've come mm-hmm. and see Dave for my sessions. So I feel really empowered. <laughs> and I turn up Good, on so. mum's yeah. oh doorstep, ready to go, and I say to mum, you can't speak to me this way. You know, I might say in a really clear way, like probably wouldn't say it like that. I might Every say, that, that's okay. I, feel, yeah, I feel, mum, that when you say something like, why have you chosen a woman? You're actually not seeing me. You know, you're not seeing me as someone who identifies as bisexual. You're actually actively rejecting my partner. That's what I'm feeling. um, And what I need is. Yeah. And what I need, God, I hope Dave's there when I'm talking to her. (laughs) (laughs) And what I need from you, mum, um, is that acceptance, is to feel like irrespective of the gender of who I'm with, you're going to love me and accept my relationships. Yeah. That's what I need, mum. But the hardest thing is when we say something like that and we have that ground Breaking moment where I'm coming out to mum emotionally. I'm coming out to mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So, we're not talking about sexuality coming out, I'm coming with out with my knees, mum.
0: Mum, these are my knees, <laughs> right? The thought is, oh, well. Once I do that, that's going to be it, right? I've come out once. That's the that's the hardest part is that you might need to keep coming out emotionally. You might need to keep setting those needs. So, what about what about Q, You practicing that asserting the needs with? me as your psychologist. yeah, With your partner who she might be uh, someone who feels really safe for you to assert needs within the dynamic of your relationship. Um, and that's going to give you confidence to have those conversations with people who might feel a little bit more difficult or mm. um, feel more, uh, bring up more emotion for you setting those boundaries.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, it's really like kind of that emotional coming out. It's for a reason. Like And if Q like here has really identified that they get along generally and really close with their family, and it's really important that they have a relationship with your family Q. And um, it's like part of any kind of close relationship we share, like how exciting moments. And so, any partner is going to be a moment that we want to share with our family because it's like joy, it's love, it's connection. And it's like kind of bringing someone who we like see like the stars trying to have their eyes um, uh, with. And we want to share that with the people around us that are important to us. And so when that kind of need isn't heard or it's invalidated through kind of a passive aggressive comment, I can understand how hurtful it is And it's just about kind of maintaining that kind of perseverance um, because it is something that you've identified is really important to you um, to kind of eventually hopefully uh, kind of re-educate and kind of bring mum to where like she hears and sees
2: you for your needs. Absolutely. And part of that, I think uh, what you're tapping into there, Tom, is when things do start to change, and we hope that they they certainly do start to change for Q's mum and and that she starts to come around. And as she does, I would be encouraging Q to be letting her mum know. So it's not just about assertively communicating our needs when things are not right or when things are not going wrong or when mum's making these inappropriate comments. But as mum starts to hopefully over time move towards a more um, uh, kind of positive view of things and to be saying uh, affirming things about Q's relationship, to be letting mum know. How do would we do that? Would we get a bell? We, we get a bell. <laughs> we have love's dogs. Yeah. Uh, so it's just about providing positive reinforcement. So, uh, you know, for example, if mum, if there's a really lovely interaction between mum and Q's partner, then maybe afterwards Q sends mum a text message saying, hey, thanks. I really appreciated that. Or that was really lovely. I really enjoyed that time. Thank you so much. Uh, to let mum know, because, you know, also there's a, there's a possibility here that mum is maybe somewhat unaware of, of how she's coming across mm-hmm. sometimes. So if we can let mum know, not just where things aren't right through that assertive communication piece, but also letting letting mum know when she is doing things right, when she is affirming through that positive reinforcement piece.
0: Also wondering, Q, whether dad could be helpful in this situation. You said to me that Mm -hmm. uh, you feel like he is more supportive, that he is more present. So what about having that conversation with him saying, I don't know whether you've noticed, but Mum's saying some weird stuff about my partner. I'm going to have a, you know, difficult conversation with her, but I also need your support here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might be an easy conversation to have with Dad before Mum because she might feel like you might feel that dad's more on her side, so maybe you could get him on board and he could go, yeah, I'm actually, or you could find out, I'm actually, he might be already having those conversations with Mm, her behind mm. closed doors, getting a a bit of understanding.
1: And I think like one of the things here is that, um, like to kind of draw back to the beginning a little, we've also kind of potentially got to ask mum why there is this like kind of resistance Mm -hmm. um, because it's often as children that we don't necessarily like inquire about our parents' lives before us. Like essentially like, at day zero, um, like there was B, uh, BT and there was AT. So before Tom and after Tom. Um,
2: right, okay. And, yeah, and, and so parents like basically didn't, didn't exist. exist. Exactly, yeah. It was okay. like the
1: year zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the notion essentially that our parents can come to us with their own kind of uh, life experiences that will inevitably inform kind of how they'll react to certain situations will naturally mean that if we can engage them on those moments, Um, And see them as human beings and individuals who've had like lives that may be varied and different. It'll make it easier for us to relate to them and then for for them to relate to us. All right, gang. Final thoughts, Tom. Let's do it. I get to speak. (laughs)
0: <laughs> of everything,
1: um, so I'm going to be a little like, what, what's it? PSA, like public service announcement, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that all our queer listeners uh, and our rainbow alphabet um, that we really do kind of make an effort of clocking it within ourselves and within our communities when we invalidate um, our bisexual uh, component of our rainbow alphabet because it is so important that we are embracing um, people like you because it will make it. Uh, it an easier experience for everyone Mm. within the rainbow alphabet um, in gaining acceptance and making it easier to assert our needs to our parents like you.
2: Hear, hear. Bisexuality is not fence sitting. Bisexuality is not not picking a side. Bisexuality Mm. is not just the first stop on the way to gay. Mm. It is a uh, relevant and important Mm. and true sexuality. Um, No more bi erasure. Thank you. Uh, uh my final thought, uh, well, I'm going to bring it back to, I guess, the therapeutic stuff. And I'm I'm, I'm really going to hammer home this idea about communication. Uh, and within that communication Q, I'm going to encourage you to be using assertive communication with mum. Um, and at the same time, part of assertive communication can also be trying to take the other person's perspective sometimes and trying to bring in some empathy and uh, trying to bring in that piece around. Well, why is it that mum might be talking to me like this? Why is it that she might have this experience? Uh, Because I think it can just bring, it can move us out of anger and it can move us into a little bit of compassion. And when we're communicating and negotiating from a place of compassion and empathy and understanding rather than anger, we are much more likely to be able to improve our relationships and get our needs met. Woohoo! Jamie?
0: Yeah, I think, Q, you know, I would really reiterate to you is that what mum is saying or what mum has been saying, that hasn't been okay um, and you're well within your rights and it's really okay and not only okay but it's really important for you um, that you're able to articulate your needs and that you're able to say that this type of relationship and this type of communication is not working for you um so i'd want to be echoing what Dave said and just help you identify your needs and find the way to express them Thank you thanks so much for sending in your story and we hope this been of some help everyone else out there listening in please send along your stories we want to hear from you we're all q out there we can't wait to hear from you all next week
1: love it please like and subscribe rate us on your podcast app and you know be Q. yes
2: fantastic all right hear from you next week Bye. Meet Q is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBT QAP+ AP+ community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualised mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on 1 800 729 367, 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And Q Life is available on 1 800 184 527, 3pm to midnight every day. Please visit the Meet Q website at www.meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP mental health resources.